Ghana hikes key interest rate to 29.5% while South Sudan raises its interest rate to 15%. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse and everything business in Africa. I am Ruth Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The K Financial, and you can find me at Ruth Dong. Your main story is brought to you by INM Bank PLC, INM Bank Rwanda. We are on your side. The Bank of South Sudan has increased the central bank interest rate by 300 basis points from 12% to 15%. A call doc, managing partner at Oris Consulting, joins us for this episode to discuss this key decision. So the Central Bank of South Sudan has just recently unveiled some new measures to combat inflation, um, the, the rise of the South Sudanese pound relative to the U.S. dollar, and uh, a rising food prices within the market. And some of these measures are multi-layered. They look to develop approach to ensure that the SSP is stronger and prices in the market are much lower. So an overview of the South Sudan economy is that South Sudan is an oil-dependent country. South oil oil production uh, in the oil sector accounts for nearly 70% of the economy and 90% of government revenue. And so with the changes in oil prices in the global economy, immediately affect the South Sudan economy and affect the central bank's reserves. So on top of that, South Sudan is, is importing on most of its goods, key commodities such as uh, food, fuel, medicine. Uh, South Sudan lacks robust factories and robust industries, and its local production is very weak. So the central bank governor is trying to address some of these things by creating an, uh, uh, trying to fight the rise of inflation. What are some of the issues that the South Sudan Central Bank factored in with this rate hike? The South Sudanese pound relative to the U.S. dollar has gone up. So the South Sudanese pound right now is trading at about 830. And at the black market, it's trading about 870. And the central bank has been trying to contain this. And it's gone up for the past couple months. Um, two months ago, it was at about 650. And it's been going up relatively slow for the past couple of years. And this is due to the conflict, due to the revitalized agreement, but also coronavirus pandemic, the uh, Ukraine-Russia war blowbacks, and also the global the global recession that was taking place. And if you see with the rise of interest rates and the issue of banks, so one of the things that the central bank wants to do is wants to instill trust with the economy and with commercial banks. And that's when the reason decides to increase the the basis point because it wants to build trust and it also wants to absorb some liquidity from the market because right now there's a lot of South Sudanese pounds within the market and the central bank wants to absorb this and ensure that the supply of the South Sudanese pound is not more than the supply of the U.S. dollars. But some of the challenges to this is that South Sudan is uh, is facing the issue of dollarization. And the central bank last month introduced a policy that they wanted to ensure that people use the South Sudanese pound more as opposed to the U.S. dollar. And what this caused, it caused a lot of people to dump South Sudanese pound within the market. And this this resulted in commercial banks forcing people to close dollar accounts and use SSP. The central bank release talks about a volatile financial situation. Can you expound more on this? When we talk about a volatile financial uh, situation we're talking about a situation where a country is dependent on one commodity and that's oil and when that commodity prices go down or production is affected in the oil sector that affects the whole economy like right now south sudan is producing about 150,000 barrels of crude oil and it's trading at international markets between 80 to 90 dollars but any change in the production in the oil fields any change in the global prices it affects the whole economy because most of the dollars that enter south sudan come from crude oil production 
So any slight change can affect the situation. On top of that, there's the lack of robust industry and robust trade policy. South Sudan is an import is, imports most of its goods from neighboring countries. It imports cement, fuel, uh, uh, maize flour, uh, medicines and a range of things so now most of the dollars that do enter the country from oil are being used to import goods because there's no local production so you see the influx of dollars leaving the country on top of that you have an economic behavior that forces people to demand dollars a lot of south Sudanese have family members living in the region in Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, Sudan, Egypt. So there's a demand for dollars for, to send that to their families. Many of the people who earn dollars in oil companies and organizations and private sector people, the dollars that they have, they're sending it out of the country to their families. So you're seeing the dollars leaving the country. So that's what you call a, fi a, 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 a volatile financial situation. What are some of the short-term and long-term solutions? I think the, the short-term solutions that the central bank has presented are good in to address the current thing. But I think the central banks should go even further and really push central banks, it really push commercial banks to encourage people to keep more dollars in the country. And to do that, the central bank has to develop trust in the economy, has to encourage people to put the money in the banks as opposed to home, has to encourage people to trade their dollars at forex bureaus so it enters the market as opposed to being uh, stashed in their mattresses or kept at home. So the trust in the banking system will ensure that more money comes to the, the the South Sudan economic ecosystem. But the long-term solution is simple, economic diversification. And I've said this many times, South Sudan needs to develop factories. And immediately some of the things that South Sudan can do is develop an oil refinery, build an oil refinery to refine some of the crude oil that is in the oil fields so that the refined petroleum products can be, can, 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 can be supplied to the country. So most of the domestic supply of refined petroleum products can be satisfied by a refinery. Build a cement factory. A cement factory can ensure that South Sudan's vast limestone wealth can be uh, can be processed into cement. So now South Sudan does not have to import cement. Build a maize uh, milling plant, a sorghum milling plant, so that South Sudan does not have to import goods. These are key things that have to be done in order to ensure a robust economy. But until then, we're we're going to be dealing with temporary fixes to address a permanent problem. And a quick look at the markets. The market segment is powered by the Development Bank of Rwanda. We empower you. Arabica coffee futures in the U.S. were trading around 1.82 U.S. dollars per pound, close to nearly a one-month high of 186.7, touched on March 21st amid global supply concerns. The latest data indicated that the International Coffee Exchange monitored Arabica coffee inventories fell to a 3 and a quarter month low of 749,000 bags. At the same time, the International Coffee Organization projected that global 2022 2023 coffee market deficit for a second year, following the 4 million bag to 5 million bag deficit in 2021 2022 due to the Arabica coffee woos in Latin America's top producers. Dealers said poor crop in Colombia last year, the lowest since 2013, had helped tighten supplies while a prolonged dry spell in Brazil late in 2022 has dented the outlook for the upcoming crop from the world's top exporter. At the same time, the National Federation of Coffee Growers estimated that coffee output in Colombia would drop 4.8% year-on-year to 5 million bags in the first half of 2023 as excessive rain and cloudy days had yields. 
quick trip around Africa, the Bank of Ghana lifted its benchmark monetary policy rate further by 150 basis points to 29.5 during its March 27, 2023 meeting, while most analysts had expected it to remain steady at 28%. It marks the second consecutive rate hike this year, pushing borrowing costs to their highest level since at least January 2001 in an effort to re-anchor inflation expectations towards the medium target and thus put the economy family on the path of stability. The headline inflation, though more than five times the 10% ceiling of the central bank's target range, has dropped for the second consecutive month to 52.8% in February after reaching a record high of 54.1% in December. The bank said inflation is expected to reach 29% by the end of the year. Meanwhile, the country is facing its worst economic crisis in decades and is in the process of restructuring its debt in order to secure a $3 billion loan from the International Monetary Fund. Free-falling currencies against the US dollar is likely to drive up the amount of money Africans abroad are sending home. This is according to Western Union's inaugural Global Money Transfer Index. It says that many in the diaspora are increasingly keeping a sharp eye on how their local currency is performing back home and looking to maximize on the opportunity. The index shows that 67% of Africans abroad send more money when the currency value falls in their receiving country, with 65% of receivers agreeing that when the currency value falls, they get more money. The survey further shows that a majority of Africans are optimistic that remittances will increase this year, with more than three quarters of Africa's receivers, about 78%, saying they expect these remittances to increase. Economic challenges such as higher global cost of living among the recipients at 81% across African continent is driving more people back home to ask senders for more money. According to the index, 62% of Africa's recipients receive money transfers at least once a month or more. The survey conducted in Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, Senegal and Morocco shows that 59% send funds across borders at the same rate. China Unicom, the country's third largest wireless network operator, expects to complete technical research and launch early applications for 6G technology by 2025, boosting hopes of rolling out the next generation mobile technology by the dawn of the next decade. That timeline was revealed by China Unicom chairman and chief executive Liu Lihong, age 55, on the sidelines of the China Development Forum, a two-day conference that opened on Saturday and regarded as Beijing's answer to the World Economic Forum's annual summit in Davos, Switzerland. Liu said that early 6G application scenarios will be introduced by 2025 in China, home to the world's largest internet user population and biggest smartphone market, which has been conducting research and development on the technology since 2019. At the same event, the Minister of Industry and Information Technology said in his speech that China was leading the pace of 6G research and development worldwide. He said the country is already ahead in rolling out 5G mobile networks and applications. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit the website, that is thekfinancial.com and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial and you can find me at Pithadong. Thank you.